Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. It's May. It's May 18th. There's a lot of stuff happening, though. You know, we'll get into June. We'll get into the the doldrums of summer, but uh, we still got some lingering storylines, some big things happening, both in the present roster and the future roster. Uh, so we got lots to talk about. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be here with you. Um, there is a lot of news. We talked a couple of weeks ago, and I remember people were wondering, hey, is it bad that there's kind of a, a lull right now in the recruiting? And the answer at the time was, no, no, it, it'll be fine. It'll pick up as we get closer and closer to June. Well, uh, that happened. It just happened to be in early May that it took place. Yeah. I remember last time we were recording, we were waiting for the mysterious bat signal to be answered. Um, and it happened the next day. Uh, so yeah, we get to, we get to talk about that. We get to talk about a few other bat signals that went up. So we're going to break down the recruiting news into three different segments, the current version, uh, of role players and quarterbacks and then future players. Uh, so let's dive into the first ones that we're going to talk about. That's going to be Mr. DJ Coleman and Mr. Josh Landry. Both of those are transferring into Missouri for the 2022 season. DJ Coleman uh, comes to us from the mighty, mighty FCS Jacksonville State. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Jacksonville State. Um, unranked kid coming out of high school. Uh, he's out of South Atlanta. Went to Jacksonville State and was a uh, FCS All-American for multiple years. And he decided to... See if he could cut it in the, uh, in the, you know, the FBS larynx, the Power Five, the SEC specifically. And Missouri gave him that shot. Now, BK, you looked at his tape. You saw what he did. Is this an FCS All-American or does this have the potential to be a little bit more than that? Neither. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be the negative guy on this. I hope it works. Like I would, I would love nothing more than all of these kids to come in and be really good. This is a puzzling one to me. I know the athletic ranked DJ Coleman as like the seventh best prospect currently available at the time that he was added to Missouri's recruiting class. And some of the numbers pop off the page. He had 180 tackles, 30 and a half tackles for loss, and 18 sacks over the last three seasons in the FCS. That's really impressive. But I watched last season, and he finished that year with three sacks and five and a half tackles for loss. I watched him against Florida State, Davidson, and Sam Houston State. Florida State is a Power 5 team, but wasn't particularly good. Davidson is not a power five team. And then Stan Houston state is just, eh, he didn't really do anything, man. He looks the part like you, you look at him coming off of the edge and you're like, all right, that is the guy that is clearly the best player on the field. And then you watch him play and it's like, I, I don't really see it. It didn't seem like he had any clear pass rushing plan. He's just kind of big and, hopes that his size will get him there. He's not bendy. He's more in the realm of a Tyrone hopper than a mm -hmm. Tyron hopper when it comes to the way that he moves on the football field. Tyrone is the one that went to North Carolina is like 28 years old and is going to be at Mizzou <laughs> next year. I think that's the closest comp for the way that he plays, but I think hopper was better at it. So I, I 
again, I hope this works out, but I think there's some open-ended questions as to whether or not he's actually an edge rusher. I think he might be more of a Sam than he is an edge rusher. And I just don't really know where he fits for Mizzou at defensive end with guys like Johnny Walker and Jonathan Jones and Travian Ford and Arden Walker and DJ Westlack seemingly being more talented players than this guy. Yeah. I was confused. The story, I don't really get it. <laughs> well, I was confused with you because with, with the addition of, of Tyrone Hopper, Missouri has, let's call it nine scholarship defensive ends. And you wanted to add another one. Okay, cool. Well, maybe that means he's really good. And then, yeah, you took a look and, and I was watching the games you were watching. Again, give him credit. Davidson is a FCS playoff team. Sam Houston State won the FCS playoff uh, two years ago and was an FCS playoff team this past year. So, okay, good competition. But I still, uh, yeah. Good competition, not, but not Georgia or Not Florida. Georgia. No, <laughs> you know? no. It, it should not be stonewalling him like they did. And he yeah. had a down year. Just no doubt about it. And these are the teams that he really produced against, Nate. Oh, North Alabama. Oh, boy. Tennessee State. SEMO. And to be fair, this is a decent team. Murray State. Like that's that's where his production came, and that was during the spring season in 2020. He had nine sacks that year, and most of them came in those four games. So like, mm-hmm. I just I know what the numbers say. I know what the athletic hyped him up to be. I don't see it. I hope that I'm wrong. Here's here's the good part. He's here for a year. Yep. He cannot be here any longer. <laughs> so if it's if it's a, a swing and a miss really doesn't hurt anything going forward. Um, you would hope that you wouldn't see any transfers because of it. If you do, that probably means he's playing, which means the guy transferring out wasn't good enough to beat him. So yeah, probably not a huge loss. But there is, you know, you got Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire at the top of the list. And then just a slew of young guys underneath that. So if if the if the staff is saying we need more than one than two uh, upperclassmen on the, on the edge. Okay. I get it. And if these, this was the only guy you could get, you know, the uh, hopper, the, the elder and DJ Coleman, if those are the only guys you can get. Okay, fine. I, I understand that, but are you, yeah. Seventh best transfer available FCS all American for two years. And then you see that it's like, huh, I don't know. lowering the standards for FCS all Americans now. Like what's going on. Um, and, and that, that sounds pretty mean, but like, it, it's just the, the reputation doesn't meet the film. And, and I, and you certainly made your case there. And so we'll, we'll see, you know, you know, again, we got one year to see what he can do and no harm, no foul. If it doesn't click the other guy who was added, uh, was a gentleman named Josh Landry. Landry is an interesting addition. Um, he coming out of high school, Landry was a four-star product out of actually out of a uh, Lamar, uh, in Houston, Texas. Uh, he was considered the 15th best uh, strong side defensive end in his class, and he went to Baylor. Now, I don't know what you know about Baylor. This isn't the the you know the mid-teens Baylor that was warp speed offense and you know suggestion defense. Baylor is a defensive juggernaut now, and they have been yeah. for quite a few years. And Landry was having a tough time cracking the rotation, and so Missouri offered. We need experience on the interior of the defensive line. Landry answered, and now he's here. Um, BK, what did you think of what you saw from Josh Landry's tape? 
So I haven't seen his tape yet. Uh, been a busy week with the St. Louis Blues playing in the playoffs, and I've been swamped with that. So I, I will be totally full disclosure, have not watched the tape. This is one that makes more sense to me, though. You look at where he's going to be playing. He'll be along the interior. And I understand that Mizzou does have some players there, right? Like you, you look in the interior and they've got Jernigan and they've got Robinson, who both of us are very excited about. But beyond that, there, there's not a ton to look at and say to yourself, OK, that's a very exciting interior defensive lineman. I like the idea of Kyron Montgomery. He's also coming off of a significant injury from last year. I like the prospect of Marquise Gracial, but he's going to be a true freshman, and this is no shot against him. True freshmen typically are not very good right away when they get to campus. So adding a player like this, in theory, just like if I, if you told me where can Mizzou still add somebody, that would make sense. Interior defensive line would be that spot. And then if you asked me if you could get somebody from a place that he didn't get a ton of playing time there, but it does that probably doesn't indicate how good they are. Baylor might be top 10 on that list because of the amount of talent that they have along that defensive line and along the defense overall. So I like the idea of this. He has the pedigree, as you mentioned, and I'm curious to go back and rewatch some of the tape that he does have. Um, but if you had opportunities to start in four games in 2020 as a sophomore at Baylor, it indicates to me that you're at least a decent player. So it shouldn't surprise anybody if he ends up in the top three in the rotation along the defensive line. There's not a lot of production to his name. And I knew yep. that going in, you know, and saying, okay, so what is this guy about? It was to be really fair, hard. Though, Nate. Yes. I mean, like Jordan, I'm blanking on his last name right now. I can't believe this. Um, the Georgia defensive lineman from last year, uh, Jordan Davis. He didn't have much production to his name, no, and he was one no. of the most dominant interior defenders I've seen in the last decade. Exactly. So when you, especially for interior linemen, you can't just look at stats. You know, you think about, think back to Jordan Elliott, his two years at Mizzou. Mm -hmm. One of his, one of his best skills was the fact that he would just destroy two guys at the snap and leave who Kobe Whiteside to have a career year in sacks. Like that was, that was his skill. That was what he was really good at. So I knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of playmaking that I would find when I watched his film. Also, he only played 85 snaps last year. It was really hard to find a game where I could see him in there. I did see a couple. The thing that he, rem the, the player that he reminded me the most, believe it or not, is actually a guy who transferred in a couple mm -hmm. of months ago in Jaden Jernigan. He is a penetrator. He's, he's a guy who you have to like pay attention to and the line has to readjust what they're doing because he has slipped right through his block. And that's what a lot of Jaden Jernigan did too. He was very uh, havoc inducing on the line, not from a production standpoint, but from like a blowing a play up kind of standpoint. Neither one of them are super tall. I believe Jernigan's six foot. Josh is coming in at six one. Neither is super heavy. They're both at 285, but they have that burst at the beginning. When the ball is snapped, they are squeezing through the line. They are crashing down or pinching off the run and forcing the play to go somewhere else. And if that's what you're looking for, because that's what Mikai Wingo was really good at too. If they're trying to replace that and they're trying to get either Jernigan or Landry to do that, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. Also, like you said, Baylor would be a top 10 defense to pluck a player who couldn't see starting time. Hmm. Oklahoma State would be another because that defense was nasty. 
And same thing, Jaden Jernigan had a tough time seeing the field, 265 snaps last year. So I approve of this plan. This makes a lot of sense. Find rotational guys who wouldn't see the field on really elite defenses, bring them to your team, figure out where it all shakes out. Ian Matthews is in there too, but he's kind of a different type of tackle. Um, so I'm good with this. You're not going to see a lot when you sit down and watch. I mean, hopefully you have <laughs> you can find some plays that you can put up on on uh, on the story there for you. But uh, it's not so much the production because it's rarely that with interior alignment. It's all about what they do for the rest of the line or the linebackers as a whole. And from that standpoint, I do like the addition of Landry. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And this one I had much less of an issue with because there are fewer guys coming up that this potentially blocks. And I know that's been something that you've harped on in the past, and we'll get to that with other guys as well. But at some point, you've got to find out if these kids can do the job or not. And if a guy like DJ Coleman is going to get a bunch of snaps because he only has one year left on campus and he's a veteran, the same thing is true potentially of Tyrone Hopper. And so they immediately become the third and fourth defensive ends behind Jeff Coat and McGuire. I mean, okay. But I would rather see what Walker and Jones and Ford mm-hmm. and potentially Montgomery are able to do there. And DJ Westlack is a guy that if you only put him in on third downs, it's probably the best way to use him when he first gets to mm-hmm. Mizzou because he's basically a designated pass rusher. Third and long, put him in there. Let's see what he can do to be able to get to the passer. Um, but I, I don't know if they're going to be willing to do that. I think they have the opportunity this year, and it's not hard to explain say, hey, these guys have been there. They've done that. They've played at a high level before. There's not as much of a transition for them. We trust them in these situations. So they just go to Hopper and Coleman and they they view that they view it through that prism. That's what's going to be frustrating is if you get into October and November and you just haven't really found out, can these kids actually do the job or not? And then next offseason, you're asking the exact same question again. Yep. Yep. I mean, the, this the Drinkwood staff loves their old guys. And like, I understand, you know, you can't throw a freshman out there. You're going to, you're going to break him. (laughs) Some, a few will do well, but you can't, you can't do that. You can't rush them if they're not ready. So I understood 2020, you don't play a lot of those guys. Plus that class was, you know, fine. 2021, same thing. Great recruiting class to freshmen. You're not going to just throw them out there. But if we get to the same thing, like you said, this year, you got to take the bubble wrap off your elite recruiting classes at some point, you know, like, and this, this seems to be the year they have a lot of stopgap options in case they don't work out like the hot, like Hopper and Coleman. Um, they have, they have contingency plans if it doesn't work out, but I really do hope that you see some of these guys that they actually recruited out of high school starting to take the field. I know it's only been two years, but BK, do you know how many freshmen that Eli Drinkwitz recruited have played in a game? Do you know? That's interesting. Are, do you mean as true freshmen or are you talking about since they've been on campus? Since they've been on campus. So Horse Camp got, <laughs> of course, he's the first <laughs> the one that horse. comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> He got some opportunities last year, limited, very, very limited. But I know he was on the field at times. Walker got some opportunities last year. I'm just trying to go through. Rakestraw did. Um, that Mackay might Wingo. be the list. Makai Wingo. He's, uh, oh, uh, Lovett did. Mm-hmm. 
A little bit, yeah. Looper did. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it, man. I, Elijah That's Young it. got a little bit, but... Not, yeah. Like, it's it's like five dudes. Tyler Macon got a start, but that was a start in name Out of only. necessity, yeah. <laughs> um, just the point is that the kids that Eli Drinkwitz and the staff have, have recruited have not seen the field, just flat out. Wingo started, or I guess he got he got starter level snaps. He never really started a game, but now he's gone. Again, part of this is that they're all freshmen. Like the the highest rated recruiting class at the time was a 2021 class. You're not going to trot them out next year. And you know this next one, just 22. They're all freshmen too. You're going to see Luther Burden, but you're probably not going to see more of them. So I get that you want insurance. I understand that, but we got to start seeing these kids on the field. And if you're not this is the year where you kind of start going, Ooh, that's maybe We need to reevaluate what we're doing on the recruiting trail. So just something to think about along the lines of something to think about There's questions that we ask conversations we have. Let's talk about the quarterback position. You know, the most important position on a football team. Uh, you might've heard that Gary Bohannon did not choose Missouri. He did indeed go to South Florida. So he will be starting for the Bulls this year, which, buddy, they needed a quarterback. They needed a lot of other things too, but they certainly needed a quarterback. So if you wanted to play and you wanted to play at a lower level, like knock yourself out. That's good. But Maybe that does make us sad. Tampa. Big fan of Tampa. Wanted to watch yeah. Tom Brady's final year in a Bucks uniform. I get it, man. Totally makes uh, sense. You to know, me. you know, that's how I. That's how I would just make my decision on on my higher education and my playing career as a football player. Um, so yeah. Good luck to Gary. I uh, wish you're a Missouri Tiger, but you're not. So that once again sent the Drinkwood staff scrambling to find a transfer quarterback, any transfer quarterback that would take their call and come onto campus. And that led us to Mr. Jack Abraham, whose uh, final uh, two choices were Mizzou and uh, Austin P from the FCS ranks, which would have been hilarious if <laughs> Drinkwitz lost a transfer quarterback to two Power 5 teams, a G5 team, and an FCS team all in the same offseason. Luckily, he did not hit for the cycle. Jack Abraham visited campus this past weekend. He committed essentially on the spot. Uh, and now he is going to be a walk-on to the Tigers, which means we are still at 85 scholarships. Certainly you think that there's a caveat that uh, if he wins the starting quarterback position of the Missouri Tigers, he will get a scholarship. But given the, the walk-on status, the, uh, the, the desperation of finding a transfer quarterback and finding this guy in particular, BK, the, the quarterback search book is closed. What do you make of this? A quote that comes to mind for me is from the American cinematic masterpiece. Uh, that I I like to go back to from time to time called Jurassic Park. And mm. the quote was, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And that kind of feels like it applies here. Mizzou's coaching staff feels so preoccupied with whether or not they could add a transfer quarterback. I'm not sure they ever actually stopped to ask if they should <laughs> add a transfer quarterback. <laughs> And they didn't seem to stop to answer the question of, does it make sense to take this transfer quarterback? Now, to be fair to Jack Abraham, he's fine. Like, I went back and rewatched a few of his games while he was at, um, what was it at the time? Louisiana Tech or whatever it Southern was. Miss. Southern, Southern Miss. Southern Miss. I watched him against Louisiana Tech. 
and he was okay. Like he's he's a pretty decent athlete. And honestly, he, he kind of reminds me of a lesser version of Brady Cook. Like that, that's kind of who he is. And that's why the addition is just one of those things where I, I just shrug my shoulders a little bit because I saw more flashes from Brady Cook last year in his time spent as the starter from Mizzou than I did in watching, I think it was two or three different games that I watched from Jack Abraham at Southern Miss. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think he comes in and should be the favorite. I think he will be the favorite to start for Mizzou. Uh, I don't know that he should be. I, I would rather see... Brady Cook get the opportunity. So I don't know, man. This is not like Bohannon or either of the two Daniels. This is a very, very different situation. This is a semi-athletic, pardon the description, but noodle-armed quarterback who doesn't have a very good deep ball, has okay accuracy, and might be at best a tangential upgrade over what you have in Brady cook. And it's probably only because he's like 25 years old. So <laughs> that's it. That's what I've got. I hate being negative, dude. You know, I'm, I'm the last guy. Like I'm the one that I wants know. to make the case for Mizzou to go eight and four. And I, I believe that Eli Drinkwitz is better than what some people want to believe. And I I've been so impressed by his recruiting and all of these different things. And these last couple of weeks, there's just been a couple of additions that have me scratching my head on like, okay, I, I guess I can see the plan here, but it doesn't totally make sense to me. Oh, you're stealing my shtick, man. Like, I'm the negative one. I'm the negative Nate, but oh, okay, that's fine. I I think he could be fine. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I think he'll probably fine. be fine. He's, I, it seems to be that his key, key, the key characteristic that this staff loves about him is that he's not Brady Cook or Tyler Macon. <laughs> and like, I, I, yes, Jurassic Park nailed it. Did you have to? Well, apparently they, they felt like they should. Yeah. Whether that's because they don't believe in Brady Cook, whether that's because they don't think Tyler Macon can cut it, whether they, that's because they're like, well, Sam Horn's going to get drafted and he's gone. Like, whatever the reason, they were just adamant that they needed to add somebody. So good, you did it. You did the thing you wanted to do. Cool. Here's what I know. <laughs> Because I, I know we're going to spend this fall just scratching our heads as we watch Jack Abraham, Jack Abraham is way down the field and go, we got Brady Cook and Tyler Macon and possibly Sam Horn sitting on the bench. And this is who we're putting out there. Because again, if we've learned anything from Eli Drinkwitz and his staff, it's that they like the old guys. They love them. Young guys aren't ready. We got to go with the old guys. So just put it in. Put it in pen. Jack Abraham is going to be your starter. That's just, I know that's how this is going to go. Yeah. He'll get a scholarship. Someone will transfer away, blah, whatever. I'm actually and not sure know, he will because apparently he comes from pretty significant money and like his parents are more than happy to pay his way at Mizzou. So I don't think that's part of the equation at all for what it's worth. I also heard his wife has a job, like a pretty decent paying job too. So like, okay. Yeah. If you can afford a, what, a semester of college and, I'm sure they could. Um, but the point is, is he's going to be the starter and it's going to be really weird and we're not going to understand it. But again, same situation. He's got one year left. This will be his seventh year. Oh my uh, God. So Dr. Dr. Jack will be uh, taking snaps for the Tigers, throwing into Luther Burden. Crazier things have happened. Remember Stetson Bennett has won a national championship. So like, you know, 
crazy things happen when you when you go with the guy that you least expect. If you're if you're actually just framing this as accurately and and trying to be positive as possible, he is a pretty accurate thrower, 60, 67% for his career, almost 68. He does throw way too many interceptions, which is not what you want from someone who is boasting accuracy. Edit read Connor Bazelak. Um, he doesn't take a ton of sacks, 5.1% sack, sack rate for his career. That's because when he when he feels pressure, he just throws it up in the air. There you go. Um, he can scoot 4.2 yards per carry. He's not super great, but he doesn't do it all that often. So, like, ugh, I'm not even sure if this is a replacement level, level college football quarterback, but he's old, and if the whole job of Eli Drinkwitz quarterback is to not mess it up, other than the interceptions, I mean, I guess he's your guy. Can I give you a quick comparison of two different players? Oh, God, please, yes. The final two years of one quarterback versus the final two years of another quarterback. I'm going to hate this. Yeah, go ahead. Quarterback number one, 26 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Quarterback number two, 23 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Quarterback number one. 66% completion percentage. Quarterback number two, 66% completion percentage. Quarterback number one was Jack Abraham. Quarterback number two was Connor Bazelak. Jack Abraham is slightly less arm strength, slightly more athletic, way more willing to run Connor Bazelak. It's pretty much what he is. So at least we got that going for us. He's going to run it. Yeah, I can't. It's okay. It's okay. Can I also it's tell okay. you some of the players that signed at Mizzou in the same recruiting class that Abraham originally came into? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm trying to think. So that would be 2016. So Demarie Crockett. Yep. Uh, Albert O. Yep. He was 2016. Who else? Uh, Tristan Colon Castillo, I think, was 16. He was not. Yes, he was. He yes, he was. He was not a okay. clone at that, at that point. Oh. My apologies. Kill uh, Garrett. I remember him. He was. Who else was notable from that team? Trey Williams. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Williams. Uh, Harry oh, Ballard. Boy. Oh, the first God, time I wish around. that guy. Yeah, I wish that um, guy was campus. Tucker McCann. Tucker McCann. Yay, yep. Tucker McCann. Yep. Oh, Demarcus man. Acey. Uh, Trey Javor Wallace-Sims. Yeah. Um, Christian Holmes, a wide receiver at the time. <laughs> Trey Baldwin. Uh, Jack yeah. Lowry, the former quarterback. And then Markel Utsi. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's old is what we're trying to say here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What he's 25, right? Mm-hmm. Larry Roundtree was the next year's recruiting class. Chris <laughs> Turner, who was in college for 20 years, was in the next year's <laughs> recruiting class. <laughs> well, who was it? Dave Matter who said that uh Jack Abraham's go-to receiver in high school was DK Metcalf. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Who's what fourth year in the NFL now? Buddy. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. DK Metcalf is about to be done with his rookie contract in the NFL. <laughs> so, I mean, Shea Patterson was in his same recruiting class. So, I mean, he really will be getting his doctorate degree, Dr. Yeah. Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder what he's going to get it in. 
Nick Bosa also in his recruiting class. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. It's moral of the story. He's he's old and he's okay. <laughs> Put him in a walker and take him out there on the field. Just start don't, Brady don't hurt Cook. Yourself, like at some point, you just you just got to be okay God, yes. with being okay. And Brady Cook, I think, is is kind of okay. And at least he's got upside. He's like nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, the, Jack Abraham's not getting any better. Yeah, one of these Brady quarterbacks is... is married and soon to have kids. <laughs> and the other one is like wearing Chiefs jerseys to school. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Buddy. Uh, well, all right. Well, we'll just get used to it. Um, let's talk about happier things. Let's, let's talk about the future. Future's great. Future can be anything. It could even be mediocre, but not Could, not in this recruiting class. Can no. we start with the one that I'm less high on? So that way we can finish with the okay. exciting one. Fair <laughs> enough. Let's let's start with Demarion Houston. Okay. Okay. We'll start with him. He is uh he's a JUCO kid out of Hutchinson Community College, six foot one eighty. Uh Oklahoma City product. And uh he's gonna be our JUCO wide receiver that joins in the 2023 recruiting class. Um BK, take it away. Tell me how underwhelmed you are. You remember Boo Smith? I remember Boo. Demarion Houston is Boo Smith if Boo Smith was actually fast. Like, Boo oh, Smith God. had us all fooled for like four years thinking that he was a fast football player. Turns out, nope, he was super average when it came to his actual time speed. <laughs> for whatever reason, nobody in the SEC could catch up with him. And I don't understand it. I will never understand it. But... Um, If you look at what Houston was in his time at Hutch so far, he just he runs really fast, really far, and he goes and catches it. And that's it. Like, that's his only role so far. And he is like elite track speed fast, had a 10-7 in the 100, 21-6 in the 200. Those are really good times. He can be used as a gadget player. You can use him in similar ways to what you're doing right now with Mookie Cooper around the line of scrimmage. And then you can also just put him on go routes and that's that's kind of the way that I expect them to use him so I'm not down on the addition I just think they already have a lot of these types of guys Mm. but he's he's perfectly fine and he's got a clear like I know exactly how he'll be used and it makes sense to me how they'll use him yeah you know a couple years ago when we joked that uh, if you wanted to play corner you had to be at least 6-1 Kind of feels like if you want to play your wide receiver for Missouri, you got to be at least 5'11". Yeah. And no, nothing more. Nothing more than that. Because, um, yeah, I mean, what, Barrett Bannister's six foot. Mookie Cooper's 5'8". And he keeps shrinking. <laughs> Dominic Lovett's 5'10". Like, even Luther Burton's 5'11". So, yeah, very weird. But, I mean, I guess if you trot out enough small, fast guys, at some point one of them's going to get open. But you also have to have a quarterback who can hit them downfield. Hello. Anyway, or you just rely entirely on on yards after catch. And it seems like most of the guys that they've added are pretty good in that regard. I can't speak too much to his ability just because he didn't get the ball all that much in terms of what he does after the catch. Um, But that I would imagine that's part of their equation, too. And you really didn't see that much last year. You saw him try it, but rarely did those things break for anything, you know. So you're way more (laughs) way more likely to to get hit uh, Beatty on a screen or something and have him turn it upfield. So whatever. Let's talk about the most interesting one. Jabari Johnson. Where is he from? Tacoma, Washington. You know, that recruiting hotbed that Missouri has gone to <laughs> over and over again. God, he is currently the 243rd ranked player in the nation 
fourth best dual threat quarterback in the country, fourth best player out of the state of Washington, 61190, a 5.8 four star um, out of Tacoma, Washington's Lincoln High School. I like Jabari Johnson. You tell me why you like him. Because he's really fast. Like, yeah. really fast. Um, he is super athletic. Uh, you look at what he did in high school. He finished with 2,400 passing yards, 30 passing touchdowns, 650 rushing yards, and 14 rushing touchdowns in his junior season. Uh, he ended up being the the player of the year in his league last year. He's productive. He's very fast. He's super athletic. He is a legit dual threat quarterback. Um, th- this is like a Jaden Daniels type of swing. That that's kind of the the this type, the prototype rather, uh, of what you're looking for with him. Now he's gonna need some development. His accuracy mm-hmm. is there sometimes, and then other times it's wildly erratic. He's pretty small, uh, like slight in terms of his frame. But you can see how this could work. Like all of it makes sense with his package. Um, he it, it reminds me a little bit of the Zach Thomas comp that we made a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I believe, for another quarterback. But um, he's got some of that in his game in terms of what Zach Thomas did at App State under Eli Drinkwitz. I could see how Drink might see some of that and what he's getting in Johnson. So I really liked him. He's a lot of fun to watch. I have no idea what he becomes in college because there's just a lot of projection there, but he's a lot of fun to watch, man. Yeah. He, he runs like a wide receiver. Yeah. It actually, I, I, God, I don't, oh, I hesitate to say this out loud, but I'm just, I'm not comparing the production or the talent or anything like that. Let's, I'm say, just let's saying, say the comp th- on three. Okay. One, two, three. Brad, Brad Smith. Smith. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's, he looks so effortless when he runs and it's so smooth. And I'm like, wow, Brad was an athlete who played quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of this looked like. Not saying that's what he's going to be, but like, it just, it reminded me of it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I love a good athletic quarterback, which is why Connor Bay's like drew me nuts. Um, but yeah, this is very exciting. Also, he's from Washington. Now Bush Hamden, who is our quarterbacks coach, was at Boise state was at Washington. So he's got good connections in the Northwest. We just haven't seen it, you know, with any of the previous recruiting classes, but he's, he's pretty well connected up there. Apparently he's known Johnson for a little bit, um, worked him out a couple of times and then brought him onto campus. So if, if this opens up, uh, a new Avenue, uh, with Washington, that's kind of down right now in Oregon, that's got a new coaching staff that's from the Southeast as well. Like, I don't know, maybe this is something that we look into, but regardless of what, what the future is as far as recruiting hotbed of Washington, adding a four-star quarterback for what? The second year in a row? Third. Third. Third, third year, year in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Third th- this is great. <laughs> I yeah, love Mizzou this. signed five blue chip quarterbacks to so a four or five-star quarterback from 2000 through 2020. If Johnson ends up signing with Mizzou, he will be the third straight four-star or five-star quarterback that Mizzou added in the last three years. Look so. He basically has in three years almost equaled what Missouri did in the previous 20 years combined at the quarterback spot. It's impressive. I love it. I love it. I just want to see one of them play. That's the thing. You got to take the bubble wrap off at some point. And, you know, Tyler Macon technically committed to Barry Odom, but had to recommit to Drinkwitz. 
Tyler Macon, Drinkwitz guy. We've seen Connor Bazelak. By the way, Brady Cook was the 19th overrated pro-style quarterback in his class. I know we don't view him as like a high-pedigree player, but 19th best quarterback in his class is pretty good. Will Rogers was ranked after him. He started. Yeah. I I knew he was a a high Mm -hmm. three-star. Wow. I like Brady Cook, man. I really do. I think, uh, well, I don't see him practice. I don't hear him in the meetings. I don't know what his work ethic is or anything like that. But God, he just, I've, I've, I've been impressed with what I've seen. It's going to be a damn shame when we don't see him play. So whatever. That's the quarterback I would be betting on. But, you know, I'm not the coach. We are not. Let's talk about some Mizzou adjacent stuff. Because recruiting is fun. But there's also a lot more fun when you talk about theoretical stuff with the sport. And, you know, college football, college sports, but specifically college football, feels like it's been a, in a constant state of transition for the past you know, year and a half. NIL really kind of kicked that off. Um, the transfer rules, the transfer portal, all that stuff kind of mixed into like creating a really interesting dynamic um, in the college sports world. And then college football is obviously part of that. The big college football news college football specific news from today is that the NCAA was in their meetings today. And something that came out is that they they're passing a rule that says a conference does not need to have two divisions within its conference to hold a conference championship game. Now remember conferences having divisions is a relatively new development. This this didn't happen until like the 90s in the SEC when they decided to split their conference and, you know, after they added South Carolina and Arkansas, split their conference into two divisions, have a conference championship game. People realized how much money they made off of advertising for that. And then everybody started putting their conferences together. All the independents joined the conference and tried to get that sweet, sweet advertising dollars. So it's a recent development. It's happened within my lifetime, certainly yours, BK too, I think. Um, so like, it's not something that's been around for a long time. Removing that division requirement means that conferences do not need to bring up, you know, two teams to fill a 12 team roster to create a division, to have a conference championship game. You can just, you can have a conference of eight and have a championship game. You can have a conference of 16 and have a conference, and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you can do, whatever you want to do. But, this leads itself to pods. But right after that news came down, I'd say within the hour, the Pac-12 put out a news release that said that starting this season, the 2022 season, the Pac-12 football conference championship game will be held between the two teams at the end of the regular season that have the highest winning percentage. So whereas USC and Utah are both in the South and they would have been duking it out for the South division, they very well could have the two best winning percentages and play each other in the conference championship game instead of USC or Utah going up against well, probably Oregon. So really interesting. Greg Sankey was uh, interviewed today and he said that that's something that they're going to review once Texas and Oklahoma join the fold. Makes sense. But BK... No divisions. You can make up how you get your conference champion. 
the possibility of pods or at least having three permanent rivals and seeing the rest of the teams you play? How do you feel about this? Are you asking me as a Mizzou fan or as a college football fan? Because well, I think there are two different I want your college football fan take first, and then let's talk about Mizzou. Okay. College football, this is good. This is good. Like, objectively, you're going to get better co- conference championship games. I think that makes the sport more entertaining, and being more entertaining and having the better teams going further into the season is better for the sport of college football. So that's my college football take is that this is good. This is a smart thing. And it will reward the best teams more often than not. Yes. Now, we get to the negative, which is Missouri no longer has to just beat Georgia to make it to the East. Yes. This is horse bleep. <laughs> 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 that, th- this is really unfortunate for Mizzou. And it, it's unfortunate, honestly, for anybody in the SEC East not named Georgia. Because... Your route to a conference title game in the SEC East is pretty clear. Georgia gets hurt. You take advantage. You end up going like six and two, seven and one, and uh, you you find a way in. Right. That's your mm-hmm. that's your formula. That is not the case when you have Georgia, Alabama and Texas A&M and Auburn and LSU and Florida and all these other teams on any given year that you're going to battle with. Right. It just becomes that much more difficult because now instead of one quote unquote blue blood program that is every year perennially at the top of their game. Now you've got at least three or four most years that will be up in that category and so if Mizzou's going to be able to go to an SEC championship game in this new way that they're going to go about it, they're just going to have to earn it that much more. And if you're somebody that says, hey, we joined the SEC, I'm fine with them having to earn it. God bless you. More power to you. Don't necessarily disagree. It just makes it that much less likely that Mizzou will be playing anytime in the near future in Atlanta. No, you're right. You're right. Um too often I view this as a college football fan and you know, then secondary, I look at it as a Missouri fan. So like I do really, really like the idea of pods or however you want to describe it, removing the divisions and making it so that teams play all the other teams in their conference once every four years, instead of once every 10, uh, I do like shaking it up and making it a little bit different, but yes, you don't get to be lucky and have one team be down and take advantage. And then that's all you got to do. However, the argument for it is that Missouri was never in a position where that was going to work anyway. Cause even if you did pounce on a wounded Georgia and Florida, you know, screwed around and, and didn't do what they're supposed to do. And you find yourself in the sec championship game, you're still going up against Alabama or an A&M or LSU or Auburn. And that has not worked out in the past either. If you look at uh, the 2013 season, if they were going off of winning percentage, Missouri would have been in the conference championship game. So there is that. However, that would not have been the case in 2014. And, and that was the year you got lucky. 2013, that was a tremendous football team. Yes, it absolutely 14 was. was a lucky team. Yes, very lucky. So we weren't getting there anytime soon anyway. Uh, It's going to be harder now for sure. 
but that was going to be the case, whether it, we moved to a pod system or a three, three, uh, three, three, three system or however it goes to. So whatever, man, I, I, I don't need Missouri to win the sec to have a successful year. I need them to win it every once in a while. That'd be nice. But like, you know, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with not being conference champions because I've been okay with that for my entire life. Hmm. Um, but it does, it does make it tougher. It does make it harder for those miracle seasons to happen. I will point out though, that means that Georgia will be playing in Alabama and LSU and A&M way more frequently. And the inverse is true. Alabama will have to play Florida more and Georgia more. And you know, Tennessee, if they're actually, well, I guess they play Tennessee every year, but like you get the idea. I know the West is a tougher division, but having the East kind of open up and having to play the West more, you know, it goes both ways. So who knows what this is going to mean and who, who knows how we actually shake this out. There's a good chance that they take the 16 teams, put them into four pods. And then the winner of the pod goes into a little mini playoff. We don't know. We don't know if they do an SEC mini playoff championship game. That, that would make a ton of money, I'm sure. And I don't know how you'd figure it out from a timing standpoint, but who knows how this shakes out. But, you know, it's good for the sport. It's not great for Missouri, but, hey, one's better than nothing, right? Yeah, and it'll also – it's just going to be interesting. Like, to, to watch this, it will be more fun for college football fans. So – uh, I give credit to college football for seemingly doing something right. Like they don't have to take into account what Mizzou fans are going to think about something. They shouldn't, frankly, take take that into account. Um, but if you're looking at it from a national perspective, I mean, I'm way more interested in seeing a game that includes more blue bloods in in mm-hmm. the conference title game. So like last year, for example, in the Big Ten conference, it would have been Ohio State versus Michigan. You tell yeah. me that's not more interesting than what we ultimately mm-hmm. got? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. Of course. Everybody would have rather seen that. Um, so that that's the way that I'm I'm happy it's going in that direction for that specific reason. Yeah. The last bit of news from these NCAA meetings that I found interesting was that they are also going to remove the 25 scholarship limit per year for recruiting uh, for the next two academic years. So it used to be used to be uh you had an 85 scholarship limit per year and you could only bring in 25 scholarships per recruiting class well that's not going to be the case anymore you can bring in 30 you can bring in 38 you can bring in 48 whatever you want to do there's no cap on the scholarship players you can bring in per recruiting class for the next two years uh i know coaches are a big fan of this given the bonus covid year plus any kind of early defections you get to the NFL, plus transfer portal shenanigans. Like, it's really, really hard to manage your roster when you don't know how many guys are going to be there. Just flat out. And the bonus COVID years really screwed that up. So the NCAA is trying to appease coaches and knock that limit down until those bonus years start whittling away. However, BK, I think there's a pretty obvious downside to this and i'll let you uh continue your negative theme for the night and explain why this sucks <laughs> this is great for you right <laughs> I'm, I'm taking on the role take a of, night off it's of great edwards this is great um yeah so I, I i think this just like basically every other 
rule that college football implements the NCAA does at any given time has unintended consequences. Who could have seen that one coming, Nate? (laughs) Um, and, And teams like Alabama, Ohio State, whoever the top teams are that send players to the NFL draft, Georgia, each and every year, well, this becomes easier to replace those blue chip talent players with more blue chip talent, right? They in the past have been limited by the number of players they are able to add. And this is where the gray shirts and the blue shirts and all of these different things started to come into effect. And now you don't have to be so secretive about any of this. You just, you go get more players, right? If you've got, like, for example, I don't remember what the exact number is that Georgia ended up losing to the NFL draft, but I think they had like seven players go in the first like top 50 picks or something like that. Mm. Um, they, I have to imagine it was something closer to like 15 guys, most of them underclassmen. If you're that team and instead of being in a situation, because you know pretty early on if those guys are going to go pro or not, mm-hmm. instead of being in a situation where you can only take 25 in this year's class, you just recruit more, more blue chip talent. And by the time you get to National Signing Day, instead of having to back off of certain guys because you're reaching your limit, you just take all of them. And if it doesn't work, guess what? The NCAA is there for you, baby. They got you. Ain't no thing. <laughs> These kids can transfer out with no repercussions. It is great. And oh, by the way, you got all this money sitting away right now in that collective that you've gone all in on. So you can start offering them money, too. I saw just a little bit ago. It looks like our boy Nick Saban getting all hot under the collar because Texas A&M apparently paid for every player they added. Meanwhile, according to Nick Saban, mm-mm, no siree, they never paid for a player. So what you're going <laughs> to see now, guess what? Alabama's going to start getting in the game because they never did that previously, Nate, and he wants you to know that. And they've got all this money that's going to be there. They've got all these boosters that want to see Alabama football be great again. And by golly, we're going to get a 35-man recruiting class next year because you know what? We can. So that's that's the unintended consequence. The, the rich get richer, and that typically is the way that these things go. I just think that the discrepancy between the best teams, the teams that have the most money and the Mizzou's or the Iowa's or the K-State's, the middle tier programs, it, it's getting greater and greater by the year because of some of these rule changes that have been implemented. Mm-hmm. We, so, yeah. We've talked before on this program that the COVID bonus year and, and keeping players longer did have a really negative whiplash on high school recruiting. We talked about Texas State, who took one high school kid and then filled the rest of their their recruiting class with transfers. Uh, we talked about players staying longer, so a lot of you know good good high school players. We're talking mid three star, high three star kids, maybe even a couple four stars, could not find a roster because we had this entire glut of extra eligibility sucking up those scholarships. So where did they go? They went JUCO. They went FCS. They went D2. Like the the proliferation of talent at the lower levels for the past year and a half has been unprecedented. And so some of those kids are trying to come up now, transfer out of the FCS or the JUCOs or what have you to get back into G5, if not P5 rosters. So that's that's been weird. You've seen a lot of talent go down. So having this expand does help high school recruits it does but yeah they're only gonna go to the to the ohio state alabama and georgia usc 
Clemson. Like, it's that's all they're going to do. And then, yeah, it's going to be a year. Or maybe they don't see the field and then they transfer somewhere else. So, And here's know, the other now, thing, Nate. Well, yes. One quick addition to that, because I know that the retort would be like, hey, but what about all of these high schoolers that have been screwed by the pandemic and the extra COVID year and all, all of these different things? Listen, man, I, I'm totally in agreement. There have been a lot of kids, a lot of stories that have been written about this that aren't getting the shots that they previously would have. And this maybe opens up some slots at lower level schools where they can now go there as opposed to previously. Those schools would potentially tell them, hey, we just don't have the roster spots available to you because of the restrictions. Totally understand that. You know what this hurts, though? Those kids that would have otherwise potentially transferred up a little bit more, they are now transferring down a little bit more. All of this has a trickle down effect. All of it. Regardless of what we want to believe that this will do, the way that it could potentially go is that kid that, uh, for example, may, maybe an Alabama or even a tier below them, maybe it's an Auburn. They would have maybe taken a chance on him because, ah, we've got the scholarship available. What the heck? He's a senior. It's one year. There's not a whole lot of downside here. Instead of taking that kid, he's now going to be passed on by an Auburn. He ends up yeah. having to instead go to, I don't know, a Jackson State or whatever, right? And then they, the, Alab the Auburn team gets the four-star recruit. And so that kid that is the under-recruited high school player, he is still ending up getting passed over. But instead of mm -hmm. it being for the transfer that went to Auburn and then that had a trickle down effect elsewhere, he's getting passed over by the middle tier or lower level program because they are now taking on the transfers. So all of this, it, it all goes together, man. You can't talk about one without any of the others. Yeah, it's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Who could have foreseen? Um, <laughs> certainly not this guy sitting in his basement, you know. So, you know, if I can't see it, then certainly the NCAA can't see it. Oh, my God. I just, uh, at some point, we're going to get bonus years getting gotten rid of, and we don't have to worry about it. But you still got the transfer portal in the one year for free. So, like, that's not going away anytime soon, which I'm I'm actually okay with that. It's the bonus year that's been screwing everything up and, and having to correct by – Knocking down scholarship limits is going to create, yes, trickle-down effects all over the place. So, Well, it, it's all of it, though, because it's the bonus year combined with the free transfers combined with the NIL being the total Wild West, right? I, I am, I have always been, and I know I, we're definitely aligned on this, uh, Nate. I, I've always been in favor of the NIL stuff. I, I think it's smart. I think it's good for college football. I think it's good for these kids. I think you will see more kids stay in school longer because of mm -hmm. it. All of that mm -hmm. is a good thing for the sport. However, when you've got a situation like you've had this offseason where it essentially becomes every offseason a free agency period for these kids, I think some of them, frankly, get bad advice and they end up getting screwed as a result and they think something is out there that's not actually out there available to them and they end up in a worse spot as a result with less money as a result potentially. So I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. And so I... I don't know. I am here to tell you, I don't have the fix. Like, I don't know how you go about making this right. But and I've also always been in the past, somebody that's in favor of them being able to transfer for free, the kids being able to transfer for free. I do wonder if we will get to a place where instead of having just transfer wherever, whenever and you make it work, maybe it's a limit of you get one free transfer while you're in college. That's it. Don't mm -hmm. get another one after that. You get one. And then if you are transferring again, that's on you. you. You now have to sit out because that's a decision that you made. Unless your coach, of course, gets fired or leaves on his own. That's a different situation. 
Um, this, you buy for a waiver. Yeah, yeah. that that's yeah. where things will get interesting is if you did that, I think it would limit some of this and it gets rid of some of the constant transfers that people are are very up in arms about, which honestly, I do kind of understand. I don't know if these are true, but I've heard stories of like some of these players have agents, for lack of a better term, who take a cut from their NIL. That's definitely and, true. And they say, well, we think you can get more if you transfer, if you hit the portal and win somewhere else. And so they do that. And then, oh, lo and behold, my agent didn't have my best interest in mind. And now I'm stuck without a spot. Like you hear these stories and I'm sure they're not as prevalent as they are shared on social media, but they certainly exist. And so this goes back to my point from a couple of weeks ago. Where I just say, yes, it is insanity right now. A lot of these kids transferring did not get to see their campus, did not meet with their coaches in person. These coaches did not see these kids work out before they showed up on campus. So both sides are like, oh, no, this is not working out. Hmm. So I get that. Um, so that's part of it, too. But also the other part is these sorts of stories coming out. My agent made me hit the portal and now I don't get to play anymore or I have to play at the FCS level. My 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 dream at the NFL is shot. You know, these sorts of stories being shared is going to create a, a community that understands what it, that actually means. We don't know what it means right now. These kids, you know, they're smarter than you think and they talk to each other constantly. So if you have somebody that you know who got bad advice or took a risk and it didn't work out, they're banking that story in their mind and going, ah, maybe I shouldn't. And you're going to create in it like just a self-regulation of what this is. It's just going to take time. And anyone who sits here and says, you know, for this is how it's going to be forever. And this is insane. We need to stop it. My bro, take a breath. <laughs> let's, let's have a couple of years of what this is and figure out truly if it's a bad thing or not. I, I, yes, you're going to see a lot of, teenagers make bad choices that's kind of what teenagers do so you're not going to escape it fully but i do believe there's going to be a little bit more reining in both from the transfer standpoint and from the pay for play standpoint on businesses who surprise you have to still pay taxes on that stuff and players surprise you still have to pay taxes on that stuff um so this is going to regulate itself it's just really messy right now and the one piece i really want to get rid of is the covid bonus year so we can really focus yeah. on what it actually looks like when you have nil and one free transfer like that let's assess that once that crazy part gets weeded out yeah it breaking news ncaa has a lot on its hands they do they do and they're never going to figure it out that's the best part uh i think that's it i think that's gonna be our show for today bk any uh parting shots i don't think so man um i'm sorry for being negative today guys (laughs) it's It's okay it happens sometimes I, i i think that overall this coaching staff has done a really good job of identifying talented players that they can bring in that will upgrade the overall level of competition from the Missouri roster. Mm-hmm. I just, the Coleman one, um, the Abraham one, I'm just not as high on those specific additions because of what the other talent is available to Missouri currently. And mm-hmm. when you look at the Houston one, I, I just think he's very specific in what he's able to do. And I think Mizzou has some of those players already on the roster, but at least that one, I understand more. Um, that being said, I really like the Johnson edition, man. Really good work with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Landry looks interesting. So we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. Just win seven games. Yep. I trust. Believe me, we'll all trust you a lot more if you win seven games mm-hmm. this next year. So there, there you go. 
That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. We can uh, leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M I Z Z O U. Z-O-U.